0: This is episode 237 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, Believing the Impossible is Necessary to Rationalize Today's Bubble Markets and What Do I Say After a Shooting? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, I would like to welcome all our new listeners. And if you're listening to the podcast but you're not subscribed, I welcome you to go over to iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast network and subscribe. And that way you won't ever miss out on a Prepper Website Podcast episode. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know about a, a great deal if you're in the market for a ferrocerium rod or a ferro rod. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was sent out a fire starter flint uh, with waterproof tinder holder by uh, Survival Hacks and uh, went ahead and got it. Uh, did the review on it. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen some video on it. Uh, actually, if you, uh, if you are on the Facebook page, I talked a little bit about it and actually kind of did some sparks While I was uh, live Uh, anyway, so uh, I I think it's a great, great deal. Like I said, I did the review. Uh, If you go price these normally at uh, on Amazon, you normally, you know, will pay anywhere between 15 to $19 when I was pricing them. Uh, The ones that were cheaper didn't have really good reviews. And so I don't, I don't always go and purchase those things. If if an item, does not have, you know, good reviews, but this one comes with all the extras. It has about five feet of paracord. It has uh, a striker with it. It has a waterproof Tinder, uh, capsule where it has a little bit of cotton. And then after you use that, you can put other cotton in there or other materials in there. And so, like I said, it has the, 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 um, the, the little extras there, uh, for you. And, uh, uh, it, also, it also does come with a whistle. I, I pulled that off. I didn't like the whistle. It was really cheaply made. And instead, I just uh, tied a knot into the paracord. But normally, this sells for $19.99. And so the reason I'm bringing it up is uh, Survival Hacks gave me a coupon code for, uh, for half off, right? So 50% off, which brings the total of this down to $9.99, which is an awesome price. If you are looking for a six inch ferro rod, I mean this is pretty big. Normally the ferro rods that you get are like really small and you got to like hold it, you know, and and, you know, it's just, they're really small. This one is really big. It feels comfortable in your hands and you're able to, you know, get a lot of sparks off of it. And so uh, I just wanted to pass this along to you because this coupon code expires on February 1st. So it'll go to the end of January. Now, when I did my review, I included that coupon code in there uh, it's um the the review is at ed that matters and it's titled always have a way to make fire a large ferro rod for your survival or fire kit and so i'm going to link to it in the show notes if you're in, if you're in the market i mean no like i said no high pressure whatever but if you're in the in the market to add a ferro rod to your fire kit. uh, This is a great deal Uh, for $9.99. I think, uh, you know, I think you should go take a look at it. So uh, I'm going to have that in the show notes for you so you can go link to it and grab that uh, coupon code. All right. So I want to do a little bit of a confession time right before we get into this first article. You know, yesterday when I was reading the article from survival blog and they were talking about the tools maybe that you would need long-term One of the tools that I read was the Haywire Clamper. And I don't know why that kind of just, you know, maybe set off some memories for my, you know, for me. And uh, I didn't really think too, too much about it because I was reading. I was reading it, you know, in the, in the, uh, it came to mind when I was reading the article and when I was doing the podcast, when I was recording the podcast. Well, then this morning when I was in my devotional, in my quiet time, that i was reminded of that which is really weird i mean to, to go back and to think about you know reading uh, an article the night before uh you know that has nothing to do with with the bible or anything like that i was reminded about the clamper the clamper thing came back into my mind and then it finally hit me that years ago and i'm talking years ago i was sent uh the stronghold haywire clamper by kaya over at pantry paratus and uh, i think it was like an initial time that we we were emailing back and forth and she said hey would you like to review this product and it was one of the first products that i would have reviewed and uh so i'm like yeah sure send it out to me i looked up some some videos on it and uh, it looked like man it was a, a really great deal and uh, it really looked like it worked and so i was really excited about getting my hands on on this uh on this tool on this clamper so i remember that i went we were going to the country so i put it in my toolbox so just in case we ever we had some need of it or maybe i was going to go up there and i was going to do the review i can't quite remember but uh, i put it in the toolbox and for whatever reason uh whatever we did up at the country i forgot about it and it stayed at the bottom of my toolbox until this morning when i you know during my devotional time i remembered it i'm like you know what uh I wonder if it's still there, and so I went to go look for it, and and sure enough, I found it, and uh, you know, I I really feel terrible that I let this slip from my from my mind. Now, um, I'm affirming you. You know, those of you who've been listening for a while know that I am a Christian. I, I completely believe in, uh, you know, in, in what what God's word says. When I believe in what you uh, sow, you will reap, and. I'm not trying to say that like God didn't bless me. I have been very very blessed. God has blessed me throughout the years. But the fact that this came up and I was reminded of this especially during my devotional time really kind of, you know, set me like, "Hey, there's a reason why you are being reminded of this." And so uh, not that God doesn't bless me, but now that I know, now that I, uh, I it, it has been recalled to my memory because I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't do it like, oh, hey, they sent me uh, some product and I'm not going to do anything with it. I didn't do it in that way at all. But now that I remember, now that I know, now that it's been brought up to my memory, I, you know, I feel I'm responsible for that and I need to do something with that. You know, I, the Lord doesn't usually do that without requiring something of you and so uh, I really feel like um, if, if I don't do something with this if I don't you know continue on with what I'm supposed to do then you know then I feel like God was like hey well okay you're going to sow what you reap right there and so I contacted Kaya. I have not heard back from her uh, this morning maybe she completely uh, you know, she completely hates me and prepper her website or whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, hopefully I do hear back. Uh, like I said, it was a long, long time ago. And, uh, and so I don't even know if they still own pantry paratus. I know the website is still there. Um, and so hopefully the email is good, but I am going to follow through. I'm going to do a review on this. I got to find something that's broken so that I can do a review on this and, uh, you know, and, and and put it out there. But I I do it it, when I did the uh, initial, like kind of scouting it out, Man, it was a great product and it held. I mean, I think the guy, uh, he clamped a, a hammer and he's beating the hammer and it, it was working. You know, he's like, it didn't, it didn't uh, break off or anything like that. I mean, this thing held it together. And so uh, I think it's a worthy Uh, a worthy product to review so i am going to link to link uh link it on the show notes if you're curious and you just want to go look at it um it's the stronghold haywire clamper and they sell it for 24.95 over at pantry paratus but uh the real reason i just want to kind of put that out there because i do believe that you know what you sow is what you reap is it's a spiritual law and it reaches beyond just people who are christians as well you know that that is a spiritual law that touches everyone and we have great examples of that you know those of us who are in preparedness to garden we have great examples that you put in a little bit of a seed you know in the ground and then all of a sudden this you know plant grows and you get all this great food that you can eat and uh you know the same uh the same uh process Works spiritually as well, you know. Is you know, I'm I, I want to sow good things, I want to sow the things of of god the blessings of god and then you know there is a, a blessing there uh you know later on and i don't you don't do it for the blessing but you do it because it's right i'm not doing this review because it's you know because i feel uh because i, I just want to get a blessing from it i i'm doing the review because i i want to do the right thing now i know because i'm doing the right thing there will be blessings from that so i just want to put that out there a little just uh, it not only hopefully it helps someone out there but it keeps me accountable it's like hey this is something that you need to do and need to get on so uh, like i said i'm going to link to the haywire clamper over at pantry paratus uh, and if you are in the need for one or you think you uh uh, you know you want to look at that uh go for it and go check that out all right so let's go ahead and jump to our first article of the podcast our first article comes to us from peakprosperity.com and the title of the article again is believing the impossible is necessary to rationalize today's bubble markets now this isn't the traditional type of article that i read some people might not uh, believe that it you know it's the preparedness like todd i listen to you because you are the prepper website podcast i want to listen to preparedness but this is one of those things that you need to know and you know we always talk about being aware of what is happening and what is going on if you are not aware of the financial markets, you know, you're in la la land, uh, with the financial markets and you might be like, I don't really care about the financial markets. Um, but it does, it does affect you. It can affect you and reach into your life, uh, in, in one way or the other. And so I think it's smart to know some of this stuff and have an idea. So if you are someone who listens to my podcast and, And this is something is like, man, that's not something I'm really interested in. I'm going to ask you to hang tight and go through it because there are some important things here that you need to understand because the way that our economy is running, the way that the financial system is running, it's not good. And We talk a lot about economic collapse and this really helps us to understand that, you know, it, the people that are doing things to our economy, either they're really dumb and don't know what they're doing or they realize what's happening and they're just going to try to run it as far as they can before it all poops out. And so there's a lot of good stuff here. And so I uh, want to go ahead and get into it. I think there's, uh, I, th- I think you'll enjoy it. But again, like I said, this isn't your, your typical preparedness article, but I think it's very valuable. So, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Quote, Alice laughed. There's no use trying. She said, one can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the queen. When I was younger, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast, quote. That was Lewis Carroll through the looking glass. To borrow from Lewis Carroll, to have confidence in today's central bank created bubble markets, we have to believe in six impossible things. Thing number one, fundamentals don't matter. In our brave new world of money printing to infinity, we're supposed to buy into a new paradigm story. You know that it's different this time. Spoiler alert, it never is. Companies either make money or they don't. They're either good investments or they aren't. They'll either return risk-adjusted cash to you over time or they won't. Here's a simple exercise. Using a publicly available stock screener at finviz.com, a favorite site of mine, I set two filter parameters to obtain a list of companies that have one, a market cap of over $2 billion, and two, a PE ratio in excess of 50, 50 times. These are the biggest companies that, in theory at least, require investors to wait 50 years or more to be paid back in profits for each dollar invested. 236 companies fit this description right now. 236. Here's a screenshot of page 11 of the results. Every company listed here has a P.E. multiple of over 190. And so again, let me just clarify that for you. So if I invest a certain amount of money, it takes 50 years, a P.E. ratio in excess of 50 years. It takes 50 years or more to be paid back in profits for each dollar invested. And so this page 11 that he's showing has, uh, has, uh, is full of companies that have a P.E. multiple of over 190. So let me continue reading here. Again, these sky high ratios mean that means that investors are willing to wait more than 190 years for these companies to earn back their principal at current stock earning prices. In a word, folks, this is nuts. Not even during the height of the 2000 and 2007 bubbles could we find such an enormous number of extreme results spread across every sector as we see today. The small selection in the table above includes companies from the stodgy food, machinery, energy, and insurance sectors, also joined by traditional high flyers like biotech and internet. This is exactly the sort of indiscriminate optimism that identifies a late stage classic bubble market. Nothing can ruin the party vibe. Anything and everything is priced beyond perfection. Each sector has its own story to rationalize the exuberance. Oh, energy is poised to rebound soon and Amazon has monopoly pricing power that will never be challenged and Netflix is investing in premium content and food. Well, uh, food, you know, this particular company is special, maybe a takeover target. In the table above, I've highlighted a few companies in yellow just as a conversation starter. Let's start with Yelp. I don't even grasp how Yelp deserves a PE of more than 15, let alone 192. It's, because, it's business model of using crowdsourced reviews to drive eyeball traffic to sell advertising against its facing competition from every possible direction. Google is squeezing them on every front and new apps come along daily to parse the same review and locator territories. Schlumberger is not a soon to recover story. Even if it were, that doesn't help to justify the 21 other oil and gas companies returned for this particular filter I ran. Taken together, seeing so many super high PE companies from this sector is difficult to explain. Outside of the markets throwing all caution to the wind. Netflix is almost a special case of willful willful investor denial, similar to Twitter, Uber, and Amazon. In each case, investors have waited year after year after year for earnings to finally materialize, but none do. Worse, it's been nothing but a steady parade of red ink. Does this look like the sort of explosive earnings growth you'd want to see to justify a PE of 220? And so there's a little graphic there that you can check out. And those are earnings which are easily doctored by accounting gimmickry into telling a picture rosier than true reality. Netflix cash flow burns are much better at showing how colossally this company loses money. Quarterly burn rates in excess of five hundred million are not the sign of maturing successful company. This is a company that is completely dependent on continued access to new inflows of funds from generous suckers um, investors in the capital market. If those inflows stop and the company has to actually earn profits positive results from what it has already built, then Netflix would have to abandon its current cash-bleeding business model. In a more normal market environment, such pause would justify a PE ratio of perhaps one-tenth the current ratio of 220 and one last example to show that stocks are not the only asset class experience a price bubble without getting bogged down too much into the details of bonds seeing greek two-year debt trading today with a lower yield that is a higher price than the u.s two-year treasury debt tells us that similar massive price distortions exist in the bond markets as well the bottom line here is that fundamentals have been entirely tossed out the window. To believe in today's asset prices, you have to believe in a future so bright and full of explosive growth that it's literally going to eclipse every other growth period in all of modern history. In other words, you have to believe that this time is different. And then the I uh, just want to point out the, the next things that happen that are coming up that he's going to talk about come a little bit faster. That first one was uh, a little bit longer. Thing number two, you can print prosperity. For nearly a decade now, central banks have been pretending they are printing up prosperity. Our weak-minded and subservient media has been dutifully parroting these claims, even though they're easily refutable by anyone willing to do a little fourth grade math. Money printing can only ever do one thing, take from one group while giving to another. It's wealth redistributive, not additive. As I frequently said, if it were possible to create true prosperity by printing money, the Romans would have succeeded long ago and we'd all be speaking Latin. But the common narrative we're being told or sold is that financial markets are going up because more wealth is being created. Metrics like record total market capitalization and home values are used endlessly on the airwaves as unassailable proof of the everything is awesome meme but even a cursory examination of the underlying data reveals that these increases in price are not the same as an increase in wealth in fact the efforts of the central planners in result result in an increasingly unfair distribution of wealth whether the rich get where the rich get richer at the expense of everyone else for example savers are losing while equity holders are gaining That's a redistribution forced upon the system by central banks that have crammed interest rates to never-before-seen 5,000-year lows while also directly supporting stock prices by buying them. Yes, Virginia purchasing financial assets with freshly printed thin-air money spikes their prices higher. Is that the same as creating wealth? No, not at all. Thing number three. Currency, stocks, and bonds are wealth. We have to accept with the very simple but difficult concept that wealth is not money, it's not currency either, and it's not debt, it's not stocks, and it's not bitcoin. Those are all claims on wealth. Real wealth is real things, land, food, cars, houses, and other tangible and or productive assets that we can use or consume. We use markers to make claims on real wealth. Those claims are always by definition in the future. For example... I have a pocket full of money. I don't have to worry about going hungry. I can always exchange my money for food later on when I'm hungry. I use my claims on wealth as convenient placeholders for when I want to consume or use something later on in the future. By way of example, suppose you're starving but your pocket full of money can't buy any food because none exists in the stores. How much wealth would you say you have in that situation? A lot, some, or none? This very circumstance faces many people in Venezuela right now. People who recently believed themselves to be wealthy because they had money suddenly discovered to their dismay that holding those claims is not at all the same thing as holding real wealth. At Peak Prosperity, we classify wealth into three categories, primary, secondary, and tertiary. Primary wealth is sourced from the land. It is rich soils, thick stands of timber, and abundant reserves of ores and fossil fuels in the ground. Secondary wealth is the means of production that have been extracted and or converted from primary wealth and brought to market. It's lumber, steel, food in the grocery store, and factories. Tertiary wealth, better known as paper wealth, stocks, bonds, etc., is merely a claim on either primary and secondary wealth. Without either of those two forms of wealth, tertiary wealth has no value. It was only recently that people somehow forgot this simple logical progression. 200 years ago the answer to the question who are the wealthiest people around here was as simple as pointing to those who own the most land primary or factories and stores secondary but after 50 plus years of intellectually bankrupt experiments with financialization people have entirely lost this thread and now confuse wealth with claims on wealth today the wealthiest are far too often composed of the skimmers and grafters that best learned how to exploit an ill-advised system of exponential credit expansion. In, other, in order to believe in this system, you have to believe that true wealth is created by the financial system, rather than by hard-working people who take risks and deploy their talents to convert primary wealth into secondary wealth. That just isn't the case. Thing number four, the world is infinite. To believe in the endless expansion of claims on wealth, that ever-rising stock and bond prices are rational, means that you also have to believe that the world is infinite. To explain why, let's take a closer look at debt. Total credit market debt has been expanding exponentially in recent decades. In order to believe the recent narrative of continued credit expansion alone, leaving aside the exponentially growing equity claims for the moment, You have to believe that somehow, magically, it's possible to increase claims on wealth faster than actual real wealth forever. In the above chart, the green dotted line tracks the increase in global GDP, while the blue dotted line tracks the increase in global debt. Note, we're not including here underfunded liabilities such as pensions and entitlements, which, if we did, make this story approximately four times worse. We can easily see that credit has been increasing much faster than GDP. This is an impossible, unsustainable condition, mathematically certain to end in tears. Yet everyone is pretending as if we'll be able to continue this way perpetually with no consequences. Any grade school child can work out the bad math involved here. It's simply impossible for your debts to rise at a faster rate than your income forever. So to be a believer in the current market's valuations and trajectory, you have to believe in a world with no limits thing five history doesn't matter in every single case throughout history when claims on wealth have badly exceeded the real wealth itself the claims have devalued usually quite painfully so world wars have resulted as a consequence as have dark periods of great economic depression the core model of the central banks is predicted on endless growth on a finite planet Do try your best to overlook the fact that hundreds of ecological warning lights are flashing bright red and clearly indicating the even more exponential growth is precisely what is not needed at this moment in history. Missing insects, bleaching coral reefs, eroding topsoil, plunging counts of everything from human sperm counts to oceanic phytoplankton and plummeting migratory bird counts are all saying the same thing. The old economic model of endless growth is now destroying itself, but this time we're supposed to believe that the lessons of history and scientific data don't apply to our unique situation and time. Our moment is special, magically so. This time is different. It's never different. Thing number six, they know what they're doing. A central theme of the dominant narrative is faith in authority. Our leaders have everything under full control. Well, after watching the central banks get things wrong over and over again for decades, it's quite impossible for me to believe that they suddenly have everything right. They famously claim to not be able to spot bubbles in advance. They also firmly assert we are experiencing an asset bubble now. Of course, they said the same thing right before the housing bubble burst in 2007. This is just how large bureaucratic organizations operate. The toadsties say that they think their bosses want to hear and the higher-ups are pleased to have someone to blame when things go wrong. But now suddenly, as the central banks are conducting a massive globally coordinated expansion of the world money supply at a magnitude higher than anyone has ever imagined, we're supposed to believe that now they've suddenly got everything under control and correctly divined. Yeah, sure. Interest rates have never in all of human history been this low. There's no guide to steer by but don't worry the central banks will get it exactly right this time. This time is different. Further negative nominal interest rates such as we see in the many trillions today are not so much a monetary experiment as they are social engineering. The price of money is a very important social signal. What does it even mean that money has a negative price? Having to pay to lend your money has unknown impacts on decision making by businesses, banks, and individuals. Could anyone truly have had an accurate prediction of what the implications would be? Well, the results of this experiment are in and have been for years. Rather than spurring spending as the Bank of Japan supposed, negative interest rates spurred saving. Rather than driving corporate investments as the ECB imagined, negative rates instead drove corporate borrowing which was then spent on stock buybacks and other financial gimmickry. Now, I can't fault the central banks for trying something new, but I can not fault them for failing to adjust after it becomes obvious the effects were deleterious and other than intended. How much longer should we permit these same fallible central banks to continue unchallenged as the stakes get increasingly higher? In conclusion, it's impossible for me to believe that the central banks know what they're doing. Shifting from the impossible to the probable Look, either I have all this very badly wrong, or I don't. If I do, that means that this time is indeed different, that it's possible to print up prosperity, that history doesn't matter, that fundamentals don't matter, that the world really is infinite, and that the central banks know exactly what they're doing. If I'm wrong, I'll have to carefully re-examine all of my data and assumptions to find out where the errors lay, and issue a very humble public apology, oh, and then go long the market. But if I'm right, and I really would prefer not to be, then a brutal market collapse is nigh. One that may well end in war, ecosystems, breakdown, or financial Armageddon. Possibly all three. In part two, how to avoid the pain of the coming market downturn, we lay out the specific steps to take now, while the system is still tranquil and functioning to position yourself, to sidestep the wrath of the coming collapse. Remember that bubbles end remarkably quickly, when they burst, their job is to create the greatest misery possible for the greatest number of people possible. The only way to avoid that fate is to be positioned wisely in advance. Take steps now to ensure you're one of those prudent few. Click here to read part two of this report. And so, uh, that's in, that's it for the the article. You know, Chris Martinson is an economist, and you know, in the financial markets and all of that. I don't know if he would call himself an economist or not. Um, you know, I I've been listening to him since I've started Prepper Website, even before Prepper Website, and uh, you know, always like what he says. So he has a you know, people listen to his financial advice, and so he has. Uh, the ability where he has a, a membership basically is what it is and so when you join his membership you get the second part of that so this first part is to get you so interested that you want to become a member to, to get that second part and if you do if you are interested in it, in it and you are someone who has you know that financially you you are in the markets and this you know this article kind of piques your interest and like okay i want to make sure that i'm protected by this then you might want to go ahead and invest in being a member and joining uh joining up and then being able to read his advice of of what he says now there are um there are about 47 comments here so i do recommend if you're if you want to go check out the uh the graphs that they have here and then the comments because there's always good information in these comments here, uh, I would, you know, I would suggest that you go take that uh, and, and go spend a little bit of time just reading the comments and and checking out some of the other things that he has here uh, connected to this article. But uh, good information there, and and one of those things is like this isn't like the doom porn, like oh, it's all coming down to an end, and you know, uh, you know, people are going to be eating each other and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he lays it out here. Is like hey, this is something you got to think about if if they're you know they're saying this but this is what history says they're saying this but this is what the reality of it is they're saying this but you know and and he just kind of lays it out there for you and it's not too difficult to understand uh maybe if you know reading it or or listening to it might you know it's like hey i might need to go read that then I'm going to encourage you to come read this one here because, uh, you need to know a little bit about what's going on there and, uh, paying attention, you know, to what's happening because when it, if, you know, there is a collapse, if financials, uh, the financial markets do start to, you know, spiral down, it is going to affect all facets of our lives. And so, you know, that's one thing that you need to be prepared for and like, Hey, how, how will I respond? Right. I do like the fact, I hope you did catch that, is that, you know, there there are real tangibles to invest in. Like, you know, things that were uh valuable, you know, like land and cars and and I I know that in the past he's talked about artwork and and different things like that. Things that have value, things that you can hold you know you if you know your bonds and your whatever let's say bitcoin you you let's say you have a lot of bitcoin or cryptocurrency and you know for whatever reason there's a cyber attack or let's just say that you know Martin Armstrong talks about this a lot he says that yeah that that is the future but governments are not going to let that just go because you know it runs on the periphery government is going to want to take over that because they're going to want to make sure that they can manage that and they can tax you. Because if there's a way that they don't have that, they can uh, track the money, then they don't know exactly what's out there, and you can lie about how much money you have and and not pay the full amount of taxes. Government doesn't want that. You know, every time that they talk about the IRS, they talk about right now that I, that I hear about it like on the news. The IRS has uh received record or the government has received record number of taxes they want your money they want taxes so are they going to let cryptocurrency side skirt uh you know all the all the 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 ability out there for the government to take money no they're going to do that so let's say you've really invested in this for whatever reason and the government decides to take over and they they put their controls on that you know that that was money that or you know i guess not money because it, it wasn't something that you actually uh you know can, can hold or something along those lines you're putting your faith in the future like he was talking about uh in, in being able to spend that cryptocurrency a little bit later on it might wind up being worthless and so uh, you know i'm not this isn't a thing about cryptocurrency this is just a thing about you know one of the things in the past that he mentioned here again in the article was when you when you try to find out who was the wealthiest person around you looked at hey so and so has thousands of acres of land that that determined if you were wealthy not hey this person has thousands of stocks right so anyway i think i uh, don't want to you know continue nailing this one but uh, i think it's a great article and uh, get you thinking and hopefully uh, you did did listen to this one. I think it uh, it's it's one of those that gets you thinking about uh, how fragile we are. All right, so let's go ahead and move into our next article of the podcast on Friday. I try to pull one from the archives. You know, someone sent me. Actually, I've heard from a couple of you that hey, the firearm articles are are firearm related articles are really valuable out there to you i don't do a lot of firearm articles just because i haven't seen a lot of them but i try to go into the uh the archive so on fridays i go into the archive and pull an article from you know way back in the day and so this is from activeresponsetraining.net and this one was released on july 2014 in july 2014 And uh, again, the article is, What Do I Say After a Shooting? so let's say you are you know you are new to preparedness or you are new to firearms you are you went and you got your concealed handgun license and you're carrying and then you finally get into a a situation you know most people conceal hand conceal carry forever and nothing ever happens but let's just say that at some point you do have to defend yourself then what do you say to the police officers how do you handle that when they come to investigate what was happening and so this article talks a little bit about that and gives you a little bit of advice. You know, Greg is a police officer and he's done some training. And, uh, you know, he, he talks a little bit about uh, uh, Masada Yub uh, in his article. And so uh, that's really well known to those in the preparedness community and firearm community. So let's go ahead and dig into this article. What do I say after a shooting from Active Response ActiveResponseTraining.net. You've just shot the criminal who broke into your house and threatened you with a weapon. The threat has been neutralized and police have been called. You've read my articles in the past, so you know it's not a good idea to have a gun in your hand when the cops arrive. When you hear the sirens, you secure your firearm in a safe place and meet police at the door with empty hands. The cops initially handcuff you and ask you a couple of questions. What happened? Where is the guy you shot? Were there other attackers? If so, where did they go? Where did you put the gun? Police ask these initial questions so that they can quickly figure out what happened, capture any fleeing criminals, and get medical help to the injured. But make no mistake, the cops who are asking the questions are also looking to collect enough evidence to make an arrest. That's what cops do, arrest people when they have probable cause that a crime has been committed. Have you considered how you were going to handle the post-shooting questions that police will ask It's a very important issue to sort out if you don't want to end up in the people arrested category. There is a lot of debate on the proper course of action after a shooting. Most people who shoot someone in self-defense are good folks who want the officer to understand why they had to shoot. They talk and talk and talk, answering every question the officer asks and providing immediate written or videotaped statements. That may not be the safest course of action. The crux of the issue is that our brains don't work very well when we are under extreme amounts of stress. When the adrenaline is coursing through your system, it's extremely difficult to calm down enough to allow for rational thought and clear recall. No matter how cool and collected you may feel, you'll likely make a mistake when answering police questions immediately after a shooting. Research has shown that the clearest memories of a stressful incident aren't fully recalled until after two to three complete sleep cycles. That's several days time. It's for this reason that cops involved in shootings are generally not questioned until several days after the event. You might think sure I might screw things up who wouldn't after such a harrowing ordeal. Won't the prosecutor judge and jury understand that? Maybe maybe not. It's best not to take the chance here's how this will play out. If you have an unethical prosecutor or one who is more concerned with garnering political favor than truly seeking justice. Let's say that you answer all the questions the cops ask you. One of the questions is how many shots did you fire? You answer I think I shot four times. Evidence at the scene establishes clearly that you actually shot eight rounds but you didn't remember firing them all. When you are on the stand, the line of questioning from the prosecutor will sound like this. Is it true that you told officers at the scene that you only fired four rounds? Yes, but he cuts you off. I submit the autopsy report into evidence, Your Honor. The deceased has eight bullet wounds and all, are the recovered bullets match the rifling of the defendant's handgun. Clearly, the defendant shot more than the four rounds he claimed. Looking at you... So we've shown you lied about the number of rounds you fired. What else are you lying about? The whole story about this man breaking into your house is a lie as well. We believe you killed an innocent man in cold blood and then lied to police to establish your innocence. You can see how it can go downhill very quickly. A statement about an innocent memory lapse can have very serious downstream consequences. Don't be quick to say that will never happen to me. I trained to count my shots every time I fire my gun. I predict your bullet counting skills will seriously diminish when someone is trying to kill you. I assisted in the investigation of a police-involved shooting in my department a few years ago. Three officers fired their guns at a burglar who was trying to run them over with the car. One of the officers fired one shot and remembered it before being struck by the car. Another officer told me he shot two to three rounds when I took his gun for evidence, the magazine was down a total of six rounds. The third officer initially stated that he didn't shoot. About an hour into the investigation, that officer came up to me and said, Greg, I was thinking about everything again and I think I may have actually shot my gun. I examined his gun and its magazine was missing four cartridges and he initially didn't even remember shooting. Your memory is probably going to be screwed up for a couple of days. You don't want to make any statements that can be used against you until you've consulted with your attorney and have a full or as full as possible recall of the incident in question. It is for this reason that many lawyers and experts in the field advise their clients don't talk to the police, don't answer any questions anytime. There are a lot of popular video tutorials about how cops will use statements against the people who make them. And there is a link here for that video tutorial he's talking about. In general, this is better advice than the answer every question strategy, but it isn't without risk. Masada Yub once brought up a hypothetical scenario in a class I attended. Imagine you are being robbed at gunpoint on a city street in broad daylight in the summertime. You draw your gun and shoot your attacker. The attacker drops his gun and it shatters on the sidewalk. It turns out that the gun you legitimately thought was real was actually just a water pistol. The police arrive a few minutes later. You tell them that you don't want to answer any questions as you watch the water dry up and the tiny pieces of plastic get blown away by the wind. By the time the evidence evidence texts arrive, they find no evidence that your attacker was armed. Can you see how this is problematic? If you had answered a couple of questions and pointed out the pieces of the broken gun to the responding officers, you likely wouldn't be charged, but you exercised your rights and now are being prosecuted for murder. The police questioning process is a balancing act. You don't want to provide statements that may later turn out to be incorrect. You also don't want to provide evidence against yourself. But your case would be strengthened if you could point out evidence that is in your favor and if you could provide a description of your attacker so that we can arrest him. You are on the tightrope. Most people error in providing too much information to the police. That's why there are so many experts instructing armed citizens to say nothing to responding police officers. Say nothing is better than saying too much, but it may not be the best course of action. I think Masada Yubes provides the best advice here. In his work as a police officer, prosecutor, and expert witness, he has seen it all and knows what works. His suggestions in the Armed Citizens Legal Network Journal are as follows. Number 1. Tell responding officers, I'm the victim, he is the perpetrator. Number 2. Tell responding officers, I will sign a complaint. Number three, point out pertinent evidence. Number four, point out any witnesses who saw what happened. Number five, if there is any hint that you are a suspect, say, officer, you will have my full cooperation after I have counsel here. Saying something like, officer, this man attacked me and I had to shoot him. I would like to file charges against him is probably a good start. Follow a Ayub's checklist by pointing out evidence, witnesses, and suspects. In particular, be sure to document any injury you have, however minor. That evidence will be extremely useful in providing your position if you get charged. After you do that, shut up. The officer will continue asking questions. That's his job. You don't have to answer. Not incriminating yourself is your job. Note that there is a difference between saying, I don't want to answer your question and I would like to speak to an attorney before any questioning. If you say the first statement, the cop can keep asking you questions. You just don't have to answer them. If you use the second phrase, the police officer must stop questioning you until you have spoken to your legal counsel. If he does question you after you've invoked your right to counsel, the answer to his questions will not be admissible in court. Don't be dumb about it. Even if the officer is treating you like a criminal, it simply won't help your situation. Say something like, Officer, I recognize that this is a very serious incident. I'd like to speak to my lawyer before I answer any more of your questions. We'll likely stop the questioning immediately while not making the officer biased against you. If for some reason the questioning persists, tell the officer that you are not feeling well and request that he call the ambulance to get you checked out at the hospital recognize that if you invoke your rights or piss off the cops at the scene you might get arrested that's not what we want but it's not the end of the world either don't let threats of arrest get you to make statements outside of Mossad's guidelines above oftentimes a cop is bluffing even if he isn't spending one night in jail before being bonded out the next morning is far better than saying something incriminating that gets you a life sentence for murder All right, good advice there. And something that this is probably something if you are a concealed handgun license carrier, or or maybe you are in a state that open carries and and you're fine with that, um, this might be something that you need to commit to memory as far as, you know, hey, what would you say? And one of those things that you really need to think through uh, to make sure that, you know, you have this um, ready to go. You know, in the article, Greg uh, links to the Armed Citizens Legal Network Journal, and uh, I believe that that uh, organization and other other organizations like that, that you can pay for a service where you can obtain uh, or retain a lawyer. So if something like this happened, That you know, you have a lawyer to call immediately and that they would get, you know, get them out there at the scene of the crime so that they could advise you and, uh, you know, take care of anything that's going on. So if you are a concealed handgun license carrier, you might want that. It's like, uh, you know, a little insurance to carry. Most of them are not very expensive, maybe like $65 a year or something like that. So you might want to invest in that um you know that might save you a whole lot of money later on down the road so and also you know greg doesn't um currently doesn't allow comments on his on his uh, articles uh probably because he's busy and man, spam is is such a pain in the butt and uh even if you have spam filters on it's still a pain in the butt but uh he did back in in 2014 when this article was live and so There are some comments here and some, uh, some discussion on what was discussed, so you might want to go check this out. Uh, he's closed them off so you can't add to the comments, but you can read what everybody else has said, and so that might be something you're interested in. So a good article here. Again, I think that if you are a concealed handgun licensed carrier, or, uh, you're, or if you're concealed carrying, or if you're thinking about concealed carrying, you know you you want to know this information you want to start applying this information uh you know or have it in the back of your mind so you have it ready if you ever need it hopefully you don't ever need it the odds are that you won't ever need it but uh, you want to be prepared if you do need it so again that's over at activeresponsetraining.net well all right that's it for episode 237 and Another week of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it uh, more than you know. And again, I like to thank the new listeners and all the the returning listeners. Guys, I, I can see that the numbers, I see those numbers of the downloads and they just keep climbing, and man, I'm just very excited about that. Very blessed, and uh, that just encourages me to, you know, to keep pushing on and, and going forward. Because I know that people are finding value in this. So, uh, like again, thanks so much for being a part of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, um, if you are looking for more preparedness content over the weekend, make sure that you come over to PrepperWebsite.com. We have tons of preparedness information. That's where I pull all the articles that I read on the podcast. I uh, place them right there. And, uh, you know, so you can come get... Tons of preparedness information, and if you haven't joined the Facebook group, come on over. And then, if you haven't, if you haven't liked this on Facebook, on the, the Facebook page, um, you know, I'll welcome you to come check that out and uh, go check out the video that I did for, on Thursday night for my favorite article of the week. I uh, talked about uh, uh, an, an article from episode two thirty one, uh, Gay Levy's uh, article on uh, you know stressed out preppers. And, uh, you know, normally when I do that, I really just bounce off of that article. I don't really reread it or anything. I I come with, you know, my opinion and my ideas. And so, uh, you know, did that over on Facebook. Um, I also download those and edit it a little bit and put them up on YouTube and then put them on Prepper website as well. So, uh, you know, but if you don't want to wait, if you, if you're looking again for some more preparedness content, go over to the Facebook group, Facebook page, I'm sorry. And, uh, it's there and you can go check that out and uh you know i appreciate your comments and your feedback on that as well and uh don't forget i'd love to connect with you on facebook twitter or instagram uh i'm on all three of those social networks and uh you know try to try to keep uh the the proper website out there for people to uh to see and know that we are here and alive so uh with that choose to live a more self-reliant life choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind until next week stay prepped and aware Peace.